grateful that you'd give us a gift like Brother Webb, who has been so involved in both architectural and spiritual changes in this country. Mm. We want to thank you for him. He's always a gift to Kenya. God was with him in Africa will be the God with him in the U.S. I pray that his latter days will be even more fruitful than the previous days. May he, in old age, continue to be a blessing to all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Now, somebody has put in the wrong message. Um, you have to look for the right message. Today, we discussed family finances. Um, the message that was on the screen was one I gave some time back. There are not too much time remaining, but I'm also conscious that this is the service with a youth group that is likely to turn me off. Um, family finances, I don't even have money in my pocket. What are you talking about? Um, I want to mention that uh, sometimes you think you are, only, you are only 18 and you have the impression what does family finances have to do with me and aware that there, there is a great possibility that many of you who are 18 will be married within the next eight years. Is that a prophecy? <laughs> that at 18, marriage sounds a very far-fetched idea. Is it any wonder that in eight years, most of those people already married by the age of 25, 26. So that even as we are talking, it's not an academic subject for the future. It's a need of the hour. You see, the second thing that I want to give you as a reason as to why it is important for you to, for you to, to, actually, to actually be interested in this topic is the fact that you, we have greater benefits for the ideas than those who are already married. If I come to talk to my generation, I got married in 1979, whatever I say, those guys are so set in the way they manage their family finances, it will be an uphill task to change. But when I talk to an 18-year-old, I'm talking to a clean slate. There are people who can listen to God and say, yes, when you bless me with a wife, I'll follow your plan because there isn't anything. Can you see then, you, this message should not be preached in the other services. The service that needs it is this service. I pray that even as we discuss, that I also be conscious of a group that is here that may not necessarily be married. If you are from Africa like I am, chances are we don't accept that part of the Bible. We only believe that everybody must get married. This is the group I need to inform that that's the gospel according to Kikuyus. It's not a gospel according to God. There is absolutely nothing wrong, young man, with hearing the call of God to remain single and satisfied. What I don't want is people without the double S, single and satisfied. Of course, there are people who are single and destructive. Now, I do not want that group of people. So if you do have had God's call to be single and satisfied, there is people, your relatives may argue, but God will be happy with you. A lot of marriages are in trouble today because guys who simply cannot live with anybody except themselves married because the culture said so. And now every time they see the wife, they see trouble. Now you need to understand, you need to understand there is nothing wrong the wife has done. It's just that they don't want anybody. They, they, are, they have what we call the single, the single room mentality. Do you know what, what uh, single room mentality is? Get, get, just rent one of these days a house that's called a bed sitter. Ever heard of a bed sitter? 
Now, if, I, if your mother visits you from the village in a bed sitter, you don't know what to do. Because you see it's the bedroom, and it's the sitting room, and it's the kitchen, and it's whatever. The time comes to sleep. Who sleeps, your mother or you? Now, you need to understand that when you get married to a bed sitter mentality guy, there will be trouble. Because God caused them to be single and satisfied, double S. But because Kacha told them to marry, they went ahead and married. I am here to tell you, as young people, we went through that pressure because we didn't listen to God. It is important to know there is absolutely nothing wrong with you remaining double S, single and satisfied. That's what the book of Corinthians is actually telling us. So, but for those of us who get married, or who are married, I think finance is one of the very, very important topics that we need to deal with. Because today, as we, as we discuss with various people, one of the things that is challenging marriages is the way people manage their finances. And I want to tell you that uh, as, as, we, as, we discuss, as we discuss that, I used to think when I heard in America that for every two marriages, one were that divorce, I said, what kind of a country is that? But you know, to my shame, in the last number of years, we have seen slowly in Kenya, a group, even within church, who feel like there is something hidden in the Bible that allows them to get divorced. I want to tell you God is absolutely clear. He does not dislike divorce. What does he do? He hates it. And he needs to be aware, again I'm talking to the right group, that the best thing to be aware is marriage is one-way traffic. You know like Uhuru Highway? <laughs> Once you enter into that, for example, you are going down, down, down Kenyatta Avenue and you reach into Uhuru Highway, you wanted to go to Kisumu but you turned the wrong direction towards Mombasa. If you discover you are going wrong direction, and you have already gotten into Horror Highway, my advice is continue going. <laughs> because if you try to turn back, that is committing suicide, isn't it? So it's one-way traffic until the next roundabout. You know Heselase? Now, so you're allowed to go, and now you can turn to ask Kisume at Heselase. Marriage is one-way traffic until the roundabout. And what is the roundabout called? Death. Um, are, you, are you getting the message? So that the best time not to enter is before you enter. Once you are in, <laughs> keep going, <laughs> keep going. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that, that's important. Now, fine, and the way you manage your finances will be something that will determine whether you are able, since you must stay in marriage, the difference will be whether you enjoy it or endure it. Did you hear me? So that there isn't a question of divorce. It's whether you enjoy or endure. And your attitude will determine that. So, a psychologist has said, and I support him, that, uh, that it's very important for you to, to understand that your beliefs are actually the ones that determine your attitude. And your attitude is what determines your behavior. So when you see somebody behave in a certain way, don't really spend all your time with observation. Find out why is he behaving like that. And chances are it's because of the attitude. For example, if you know that every time I speak, I send you to sleep. You say you have a certain attitude towards me. So even as I begin my sermon, chances are you are starting to sit back, preparing for the nap. Now, it's very important to understand, I haven't done anything. I haven't even bored you yet. In fact, this may be a very interesting sermon. <laughs> but you see, once you show me your behavior is, there is nothing he's going to say, I can enjoy my nap. Are we together? <laughs> so what I see is a nap. You are dozing. That's the behavior. But that's not the problem. The problem is your attitude attitude to Nganga that he's not likely to say anything sensible. 
So the problem is attitude. But attitude is not the real problem. The real problem is the belief that the guys who have married for 30 years are not likely to give you any information. If that's what you believe. And then I had the misfortune of admitting I got married in 1979. And remember, I do not, you do not have even have to have ever heard me. All you know is that guys of that age normally say nothing. That's a belief. That's a belief. As soon as your belief is that, your attitude is, you send me to sleep and you start dozing. Am I communicating? You need to understand that a lot of the family financial problems you have in the way you manage finances have to do with our belief system. Our behavior, even you see a husband and wife fighting about money, is not because of the money itself, it's because of the attitude to money. And the trouble is not the attitude to money, it's their belief about money. So I think what Hamaki is saying then is that belief about money is the problem, not the money. And I want to mention to you that it does not matter whether you have a lot of it or a little of it. I want to tell you that when you have a lot of money, you are in trouble. When you have little money, you have a trouble. That's why I'm aware it is not the money itself. You see, if you have a little money, chances are your struggle is to get it. Husband and wife are struggling on how to get it. But there are many marriages that are actually benefiting from having, money, having little money. Because chances are they are able to stay together. But you know, in their mind, they say, our marriage would be better if only we had more money. Like young couples who are here, they got married, they have no car. They keep imagining the reason why they are fighting every Sunday morning about coming to church is because the wife is not preparing in time, the matatu is leaving, God blessed us with a car, our marriage will be blessed. I want to tell you, the day you get a car, therefore you have more money, will be the danger zone for your marriage. Why? Who drives it? The husband or the wife? And remember, both of you went to the same university. The guy isn't cleverer. Now, but you need to understand, you need to understand that since both of you contributed for the car, there is trouble. But because the man is called a man, he thinks he is the driver. Now, as soon as you are talking about how to manage that car, many marriages cannot wear the strain of who drives that car. You see, you pick your wife. Alia used to take a mat when she, she was slow, you'd leave her and take a matatu earlier and go to the office. Now that you have one car and you have to go to, to the office, you must agree on how to leave. So you are, if the guy has the gate hooting, doo, doo, doo. by the time the wife comes out and finally enters the car, and he realizes he'll be late for the management meeting, one looks to Mecca and the other one to Medina. Have you ever watched people driving? <laughs> and what is the problem? The problem was not lack of money, but because they got money. If only they had stayed without without getting a car, that marriage would have been saved. The trouble of the marriage is the fact they got a car. Are you starting to understand that money is not the problem? They got more, but they got more trouble. Now, but you say, Brother Nganga, you don't understand. Me, I will sort it out. I have actually planned before the end of the year, I'll get a second car. And you think that will sort out your problem. And unfortunately, that's when you double your problems. Because as long as you had one car, you had to discuss in the morning. How are you coming in the evening? It allowed communication in marriage. Because obviously the car was a subject. Now, and obviously it made you love one another. <laughs> the day you get two cars is the beginning of trouble. Because you know, you don't have to tell your wife whether you are passing through fellowship or not. Because after all, she has her car to go home. She arrives home and the husband is not there. Eight o'clock, the guy has not yet come. By the time he arrives at nine o'clock, she has blown into a mountain. They cannot talk. What is the trouble? Why did you not come? But darling, you had your car. 
I remembered the fellowship. You know, there was a speaker, such a special speaker. I wish you knew how to work. We were so blessed. Don't worry about the blessings. Why did you give me into that trouble? <laughs> now, the trouble has come because they got two cars. As long as you had one car, most families one car really are interactive. You know, the one car is debated every day. Everybody has to give his program in detail. <laughs> Until the two get to cars. So that the real trouble, and I can go on and on and on. What I'm trying to suggest to you is that until you sort out your belief systems about money, the day you marry, if you are not yet married, will be the beginning of your problems. And if you could change a lot of your beliefs, it will change your attitude and change your behavior. Do you know, for example, all I need is to look at your, a, a lot of issues about your, your money, management of money, and I can, say, I can start guessing your beliefs. For example, if I was to take your checkbook and check the things you have paid the last six months, I will immediately know your beliefs, your value system. What are your beliefs about values? Because the checkbook is an indicator of what you value and what you don't value. You can talk about how you love the Lord, how committed you are, but the check for six months has not, nothing to God's giving, nothing to give to God. I know it's verbal. Because the checkbook tells me what you truly value. Am I communicating? You can talk about, I love my wife. Oh, how we love each other. Our marriage is great. I look through and I can't see a single time you bought her chips. Now, it's very important to understand. <laughs> It's very important to understand that, that just by looking at your checkbook, I'm able to tell what you value and what you don't value. Because the checkbook is a behavior thing, but the checkbook is not the problem. It is your belief system. Are we together? If I went and found that you have two accounts, well, the wife has an account, you have an account, I immediately know your belief system about marriage. What is marriage to you? And it actually will be easy for me to guess just by the fact that you are having two of them. You know, one of the things, the problems, and now I'm not, I want to move in the few minutes I have to talk about these beliefs that influence the way you manage your, your money, is to understand is why did you marry? The whys of marriage. And I want to say that, and that's a topic of another day, we need to deal with it. Why do, do you marry? I have normally got a five reasons, five good reasons why you should marry, and five re bad reasons for marriage. And we are not going to tackle them tonight. But I want to say one of them I normally deal with when, I'm, when we are running marriage seminar or, or, on that issue is that the only reason I understand from the scriptures as to why people marry is to deal with the first disease diagnosed on earth. Do you know what that disease was? You see, when you go to the book of Genesis, he keeps saying, and it was good, and it was good. The first time he says it's not good is the sickness of the man. What was his problem? Lonely. And the man was? And the trouble is not that he was alone, he was lonely. You know, you can be alone and not lonely. That's what, that's, those are the people I call single and satisfied. They are alone but not lonely. Now, it's very important to understand that this guy was not just alone. He was alone and lonely. What was the solution? The solution was married. Let us make a help meet. It's not what the Bible says. So that the reason given for marriage as to why we should marry is companionship. That although God visited uh, the Garden of Eden, and he gave some companionship. It was never appropriate companionship. And the only companionship that could deal with the loneliness of Adam was a man like him. That's when he called her woman because he had taken out of man. So you need to understand the reason, according to God, 
as to why anybody should ever be interested in marriage is to have an opportunity to get and give companionship. And when you have other reasons as to why you marry, there will be trouble. Do you know, like I normally give when you're talking about, uh, when you're talking about um, um, marriage and reasons for marriage, there are people who marry for economic reasons. They look at themselves and say, if I was to apply for a mortgage alone, I can only, I can only get one um, in Umoja. But if, you, if we both of us get married, and we add our money together and apply, I'll get broboru. Now, so obviously, it makes economic sense as to why we must get married. It's a still a reason, but not a biblical reason. Are we together? And you have a lot of people where the trouble they are currently getting in their marriage is because they married to move out of Umoja to broboru, but they are still in Umoja because the girl did not bring as much as she was supposed to bring. I know a marriage, a marriage that finally collapsed when we were trying to cancel them, we thought could help them. And the real reason was that the man felt this woman was not bringing to table what you were supposed. I, of course, I spent about the time talking about the man is supposed to bring. He says, but other women are bringing. What's wrong with mine? Now, you need to understand, you need to understand that when the reason why you married her is to bring things to table, as soon as the things are not brought to table, there will be trouble, isn't it? And there are many marriages where the trouble is, how come mama so-and-so has started a kiosk and has started a saloon and, has, and you're not starting? Because you see, she is not a wife. She is a money maker. Am I communicating? And then that marriage has no chance of survival. In as long as the original, and you know, he never told you. Oh, he told you, I love you, I love you. But inside, money, money. Now, you need, to <laughs> you need to understand that what you got, what he got is not what he bargained for. Because he never told you he was marrying a bank. You thought he was marrying a wife. <laughs> and it can be a real, real, real problem. When, when, when the reason. So, so you see a behavior, the strain in your marriage, but the trouble is because of his attitude to you. You are not providing. But the real problem is the belief that the wife was supposed to be. You know, that's why even people end up having, having to break up the marriage. Let me give another one that's quite normal. You marry a woman, but in our African customs, when we say so and so got married, we accurately say so and so got a mother of his children. So that you are not a wife. You are the mother of my children. Then you come to my home and you have the misfortune of not having children. Obviously, there's no hope for that marriage. In Africa, everybody in the clan will understand when you get a second wife. Because you are not a bad man. You are only a reasonable man. Now, obviously, <laughs> you need to understand that when you married not a wife but a child-bearing machine, obviously, you had to return it back to the manufacturer. Now, it's very important to... <laughs> You need to understand that you hear, of course, he doesn't tell you the truth. He says, I love you, I love you. And he says, child-bearing machine, child-bearing machine. <laughs> as long as a child-bearing machine does not bear children, is it in wonder that marriage cannot stand? I hope you are getting the message that the real problem is you have to deal with your belief system. Because as soon as your belief system is different in your marriage, money will, nev will never become a problem in your own marriage. And it's important. Let's look at... Um, Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verse 12, just talking about this idea of coming, coming together. Verse 12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, God is saying, and that, that passage says several things. We'll look at a number of them, about coming together and working together. He is saying the reason why you should come together is because when you come together, then you are likely to be, no, you will be a better team. But then he has introduced something else that is important if you are going to be able to manage. I believe that your marriage 
is only going to be a good marriage if it is not a party of two, but a party of three. The wife, the husband, and God. And that's really, in a lot of the money problems, is because God does not play a part. It is just a cord of two strands. But the Christian is telling us, if you want one that cannot be, be broken, it must be a cord of three strands. And I think it's a very, very important thing to understand. So it's the first belief system that will help your marriage, uh, your, uh, your, your, your marriage in the way you manage your finances. It's a belief system that although the husband is the head, he only has delegated authority. That he only does what the head actually says. Because the real head of the family is not a man. Who is the head? God. You know, a lot of places, they put, they put plates where they say that, that uh, Jesus is a, a welcome visitor, an unseen guest. Have you seen those plates? Totally unbiblical. Now, what's the use of a guy who can't say anything? You know, he's a silent listener. Now, I want to tell you, if your marriage has to have hope, Jesus cannot be a silent listener. He has to be in control. <laughs> How can you call me a head if I'm, I'm voiceless? Now, you need to understand that when Jesus comes to your marriage, he calls the shots. You feel like your wife has really annoyed you. You want to talk. Then the spirit says, wait a minute. I forgive you in the morning. What's so difficult about forgiving her? You have a choice to make. Continue talking tough or listen to the head. The Jesus we are talking about is not a silent listener. He's a very loud listener. If you go ahead and continue quarreling, he will cut his relationship with you. Am I communicating? What you are saying is, even in terms of money, a lot of the arguments you are having, He'll remind you just before you, you start uh, uh, insulting your husband. Where do you think the money you have came from? I give it. It's not your money. It's my money. And just before you embarrass your, your husband on that financial quarrel, the Holy Spirit whispers, Woman, it is my money. I only give you as a steward. Are we together? So that the first solution to family management of finances is to recognize God's ownership, not visitor. But somebody who owns the marriage and he is here to call shots and to, call, to be in control. Marriage is God's idea and he will manage, your, he will manage you properly if you recognize it. Do you know the other thing that uh, which will be coming out, uh, uh, out in a minute is for you to understand that the reason why it is so important for God not to be a silent listener in your marriage to be, but to be the one in control is that first of all because he is the one who made marriage. He's the only one who understands the way marriage can succeed, isn't it? But secondly, it's because a man cannot be trusted. And yet marriage cannot survive without trust, like I'll be saying in a minute. And yet you know that a guy cannot be trusted. How do you actually start working together with a guy who is not trustworthy? There is no hope for marriage until you realize that you can hand over your husband to God and God can manage him when you can't. He starts take, spending money wrongly and you report him upstairs. The guy has not slept throughout the night. In the morning he wakes up and saying, darling, the idea I had yesterday, forget it. Not, you did nothing. You reported him upstairs. Am I communicating? And God can manage him. Not a woman manipulating the man, but reporting him upstairs. A woman gives you trouble because she is always asking for this and the other and the other and that until you say, I'll go mad. Don't go mad, brother. Report her upstairs. Am I communicating? So that I am not asking you to trust the man. He is not trustworthy. I'm asking you to trust the God of the man. Because you know that that God is capable of changing your man. Am I communicating? So you can trust him. Because you know this woman can do me in. But when God is in control, she will try. But you, can she have the ability? 
it's very important to come to where you are able to put your trust in God. Secondly, I would, uh, I would have wanted us to spend a bit of time in, 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 in Genesis, but I think you need to, to see what he says uh, in, in that portion of scripture. We will be, we, I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 24. He is saying in marriage, because that's where he starts with marriage, that in marriage you are supposed to, you are supposed to be somebody who is transparent, who seeks to be transparent. And I think it's a very, very important, very, very important thing to, to understand. Maybe I just, I just read verse, um, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. In other words, the reason why there is a lot of trouble in marriage, managing money, is because people don't believe this idea of, my, of marriage. The idea of both being naked and feeling no shame. You know a lot of the reasons why you people are fighting on marriage because they don't trust each other. And of course because both are not transparent. Now I'm not talking about the guy who is to, to trust. I'm talking about you who is untrustworthy. The Bible is saying if your marriage is to be a Christian marriage, you must allow yourself to be naked. Obviously, I'm sorry, there are a lot of young people, they will not understand how the Bible should be encouraging you to be naked. Isn't it obvious? How did you get children? It's very important to understand. To understand some of these things are difficult to understand, but they happen. The other day, I heard in Kakamega about a, a, a woman who went and looked. You know, the, the, in, in the rural area, there is a, you, you wash outside. You don't, there's a place, there's a toilet, then there's another place you go to wash. The wife went and looked through the keyhole and saw. Then she shouted, he is not circumcised. Now, I ask myself, for they had already got children in school. How did they get all those children? And she's discovering for 10 years later that the guy was not circumcised. Now, these things happen. <laughs> I'm not going to the details, but these things happen. Now, if you do not, if you have a man who is not even naked enough to be discovered, what else is he covering up? Am I communicating? <laughs> and I want to say that in a lot of marriages, the key problem of money is because a lot of people are cheating one, another. Transparency is not there. And yet the Bible is saying the kind of marriage that's a godly marriage is a marriage where people are both naked. A lot of times we keep telling the wife, be naked, be naked. Now it's not one being naked. The Bible is saying both are naked. The man has to be naked, the husband has to be naked. And that's not just a question of nakedness of the body. It's nakedness of the spirit. That there is nothing you know the other one does not yet, not yet? No. One of the, when I'm talking to young people about marriage, and I'm finishing with this, one of the things I say, and which I also, I actually did in 1977, just, just before I proposed to, my, to, my, to, to Rebecca, was to think about every time we met, we talk about sweet nothings. You know what are sweet nothings? You really enjoy them. But in the end, after two hours of a date, you have not progressed any further about knowing that girl than you knew her earlier. So he decided one day we'll have a serious date where I would go through my life and think about all the things that are wrong with me so that if I were Rebecca, I would never marry John. So I become like Rebecca and ask myself, if I was Rebecca, what is it I would not like in? And since I'm John, I should know, isn't it? So I, and it's a proper thing because if you don't write it down, you'll forget. So you put the proper writing. What are the kind of diseases you have had in the past? Which you'll be surprised later that she was marrying somebody who, was, who, had, them, who had them. Yes, I knew in Form 3 I had bronchitis. And I don't know whether it cleared properly. So I say, um, by the way, the guy you are marrying has had, has had bronchitis. <laughs> now, you, by the time you finish that date, you don't know whether you have a girlfriend or you don't. <laughs> 
Because you know what you are telling her are the kind of things that if you are her, you will not marry John. So when later she still wanted to marry me, I knew she was not, she was not marrying an idea. She was with John, the good aunt. Another time it was now her chance for that serious date. By the way, you sweat. It's not an easy date. <laughs> Where now she tells me about the story because I come from Central and she comes from Eastern Province. So obviously I don't know the stories about the place. But instead of me hearing from cousins, and other people who want to support our relationship, I want to hear it direct. What are the kind of stories people who want to support our relationship? You, know, you are marrying that girl from that village. I'm from that village. You don't know who you are, what you are getting to. The Aniko is mad now. You need to understand. <laughs> you need to understand. Instead of me hearing from, hearing from, from other people that one of the Anikos got mad, she tells me, by the way, we grew up in trouble. By the way, that's not a true story. I'm only giving it, a, giving it as an example. I'm going to giving it an example. And you hear the idea. When it comes to money, it's very important that you actually share. I know one person who got married about my time. They, and because they married just before me, they really had a wonderful wedding until I told, I told Rebecca, surely, I don't know how we'll marry. If, to, if our wedding has to be like so-and-so's, another brother in the Lord, I don't know how we'll make it. Because they were able to hire Kenya bus. By the way, they were, they were <laughs> Kenya bus was a great thing those days in the 70s. <laughs> so I have to correct myself because I know you don't have the same idea. But... <laughs> But in our days, to, to actually have Kenya pass in your, in, your, in your wedding was something great. Do you know, one year later, about one year later, I met this brother in the Lord, walking on the street like this. I said, what had happened? He had become so stressed that he could have, and I don't know, stress can get you to your neck not to move. And we started finding out what had gone wrong. It is because this brother did not admit to the sister that he, has, he was taking a loan to manage the wedding. Why? His argument was very simple. This girl has a salary. I have a salary. Even if I commit all mine to the wedding, when we get married, we will now be using her. Unfortunately, she also had thought, my friend has a salary. Even if I commit all my salary, and she said, before I leave home, my parents were so good to me. They educated me. I cannot leave them without a house. So she, they went, she took a loan, went to the rural area, built a house to completion. And so by the time they got married, they had no money. He didn't have, he didn't have. But then you say, hey, well, can you buy something? Say, oh, use your money. Now, if they are not talking. And you, nobody wants to admit. Finally, he walked. Now, <laughs> you need to understand that these days, and I talk to young people. When I talk to young people, I tell them in advance, transparency and nakedness is required as you walk towards marriage. Because that marriage began with the trouble. By the way, the Lord healed him. Now he's a, he has, he has a big, grown up children. But it required a lot of therapy for him to come back. <laughs> it all began from lack of nakedness. Am I communicating? So a lot of the financial problems you are having in your marriage have to do with not accepting the biblical basis for marriage, which is nakedness. And I can tell you for sure, there is no hope for your marriage until you trust God enough to agree to be naked. Nakedness is vulnerability. And I want to suggest that to be naked means somebody can easily destroy you, isn't it? But you are not putting yourself in his hands. You are putting yourself in God's. God requires nakedness. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, how we pray that in your wisdom, you will teach us that when we do things, some very difficult, but things you have commanded, that we, are, we will get blessings in the process. And that our marriages, for those of us who are married, will not be the worst when you obey the scriptures and seek to believe in the type of marriage 
you designed from the beginning. How I pray that even for young people as they think about the, taking a step towards marriage, that you teach them about the requirements and that you show them that if they obey you, there will be a blessing. Be with us. And especially I want to pray for people who may be here and they are not born again. That because they don't know you, they are unable to trust their lives into your hands. And because they don't trust their lives into your hands, they struggle in their marriages. They struggle in their lives. How I pray that you will bring them to where they are able to admit they cannot run their lives without you. That they require your help. Because only after they get born again can they follow the rest of the process. So help that none of us will walk out of this service without admitting that they need your help. In Jesus' name we pray.